0: you now in the Sermon on the Plain. As we've been looking in recent weeks, the Sermon on the Plain is a bit different uh, than the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Luke gives us uh, a shorter sermon, but I don't think it's a a summary of another sermon. I think these are likely two different sermons that the Lord gave, although many of the points are the same. And I think as you look at the Sermon on the Plain, uh, what we see is that Jesus is building an argument. In other words, he's not just getting up and giving bullet points here and there and, and points that don't connect to one another. These things do connect, and that's important to understand, especially when we consider what he says in today's passage about judgment. And to understand rightly what Jesus is saying here about judgment, you need to understand the context in which this statement is given and, and what's been said up to this point and what's said after this point Uh, Because otherwise, we tend to pull out of the Scripture specific statements, not understanding the context, and then we completely misunderstand and misapply. And this is certainly one of those passages that happens with. In fact, uh, you have probably encountered people as I have who have no knowledge whatsoever of the Bible or really anything in it, and yet they can quote or kind of piece together uh, this part of this verse. Judge not, you often hear people say. Doesn't the Bible say we're not supposed to judge? Well, what does the Bible say? That's what we're going to look at today as we consider Jesus' statement now in the Sermon on the Plain. We're going to look at Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42. And out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand as I read this passage for us. This is what God's Word says. Jesus says this. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. If you will pray with me. Father, we we thank you that it is well today. It is not well because life is easy. It is not well because this week went the way we thought it was going to go. It is not well because of our circumstances or our situation. It is well because Christ indeed has gone to the cross. He has died and paid our debt. He has atoned for our sin. He has been raised on the third day. He sits at your right hand. He intercedes for us now. And we are covered by the blood and righteousness of Jesus. And that is why we can say it is well. Help us, Lord, to understand now your word as we consider this statement from Jesus in the Sermon on the Plain. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I've started out the last few weeks asking you a series of questions. Today I want to give you a a series of situations. Consider how you or others might respond in these situations. The personal is this, a group of friends are together for dinner at a restaurant, and as they are talking, a, a political ad comes on the TV. As the ad comes up, one of the friends remarks, you know, I, I love this candidate, I, I love what they stand for, I love especially that they are a Christian, and I plan to vote for them. Another friend quickly says, well, you know, when you... When you look at that person's life, when you look at their business dealings, when you look at their speech, the way things they've said, when you look at their behavior, they they don't seem to have the fruit of the Christian life at all. I'm not so sure their face is very authentic. To which the other says, well, that, that sounds like you're judging them. And didn't Jesus say we're not supposed to do that? There's a group of students who are gather together for a morning Bible study that Fellowship of Christian Athletes does on their campus, and the subject that day of their Bible study is God's design for relationships and marriage. And as the speaker uh, teaches about God's design and then opens up the group for questions, one of the students asks the question, well, my family's been invited this week to attend a a same-sex marriage. Should I go? Another student says very quickly, Well, you know what he just said and what God's design for marriage is. To which another student says, Well, that, that sounds like you're being judgmental. And didn't Jesus say, We're not supposed to pass judgment? And then you have a, a church business meeting that's taken place. And at that business meeting, the chairman of the deacons brings before the church a, a difficult situation where a church member has abandoned their spouse they've entered into an affair with a co-worker they've moved in with that co-worker all attempts at seeking out that person to talk to them have been refuted they want nothing to do with the church they want nothing to do with the pastor the deacons they don't want anything to do with their family anymore now it's come to a point where this deacon has brought them before the church body to consider disciplining them and removing them from the church membership to which a group quickly objects well well, we're not supposed to judge, are we? That, that, it sounds like we're passing judgment, and that, that's God's job. I mean, didn't Jesus say, don't judge? Now, we could go through situation after situation, but you have experienced these situations, if not these ones like it, where the conversation quickly turns to a statement from someone that says, doesn't the Bible say we're not supposed to judge? In fact, that really has become the the mantra of our culture today. Those who have nothing to do with God's word, nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus, are are quick to say when anyone in any circumstance calls something wrong or especially sin, well, well, that sounds like you're just being judgmental. And didn't Jesus say, we're not supposed to judge? Well, we certainly come to a passage today where Jesus clearly says, judge, judge not. <laughs> and the question is, well, what is Jesus teaching us in this passage? And I'll just, from the start, say I don't believe that Jesus here is here saying that, that, that all forms of judgment and discernment should be thrown out the window, especially when you consider, consider the context of what Jesus says here. He goes on after this passage to essentially tell his disciples, here's how you are to judge, <laughs> You, you judge a, 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 fruit, a tree by its fruit, meaning you judge the heart of a person based on what comes out of their mouth. So Jesus is not telling us not to judge in any way, in any circumstance. So the question then is, well, what is he telling us? And that's what we're going to consider as we walk through this passage today. And I've broken it down to, to five things that I think Jesus is commending us to do in this sermon on the plain. We'll begin with the first one there in your outline, which is this. I believe Jesus is teaching his disciples to be slow to condemn. To be slow to condemn. Now again, remember that the context of what's happening here. Really, that the context of this whole chapter. Because when you go back to the beginning of chapter 6, you see that Jesus here and his disciples, they're, they're criticized for picking grain on the Sabbath. And those who are criticizing them are the Pharisees and who felt they were they were the keepers of the law. And they're criticizing Jesus and his disciples because they're saying, you're, you're not keeping the law. They, they are passing judgment on them. And then that judgment gets more intense as you continue in the passage because Jesus then heals someone on the Sabbath. And now their judgment goes to an all-out condemnation and now they're plotting together on how they're going to destroy Jesus. Now they're going to kill him. Well, from there, Jesus then calls out the twelve, and, and he and the twelve go down the mountain to the plain, and he begins to give this sermon to his disciples. His audience is very much as those who are following him, but there are many others who have gathered. Likely, those Pharisees are there as well. And so Jesus, in directing his sermon to his disciples, is certainly saying things to help them see how they are set apart from the world, and set apart from these people that he'll call false teachers. And in doing this, he's telling them, listen, you're going to be persecuted for your faith by these very people. You're going to be hated. You're going to have enemies. And so then he said, here's how you're to love those enemies. And then from there, he talks about this issue of judgment. So how do these things then go together? I believe they go together in this way. I think Jesus here is speaking very much to the heart of his disciples, knowing the heart of his disciples, knowing our natural inclination. And our natural inclination, when someone hates us, scorns us, speaks evil against us, attacks us, is not only not to love them, but it's also to judge them. In other words, when someone is judgmental towards us, and when they are condemning us, when they are calling us out and passing judgment on us, our tendency then is to turn around and do that very same thing to them, sometimes more intensely. And you see it all the time, just in our conversations with one another. I mean, you see this in marriage relationships, one spouse confronts another and says, listen, and they call them out on something. And usually the response is not to say, oh, thank you, loved one, for telling me that about myself, <laughs> Thank you for pointing out that sin in my life. Now, our response is usually to be defensive and to say, oh, yeah, well, you tell me I did this. Let me tell you all the things you did. I mean, that's our response to one another. Our natural response when confronted in authentic, genuine sin is usually not one of humility and repentance. So often our natural response is one of defensiveness and covering up and passing judgment. And the context here, I believe, is more intense than that because these are enemies. These are people who are coming against us. Jesus gives the context here of they're going to come after you because of your faith in me, in Jesus. You're going to be falsely accused. So this isn't the disciples are called out in sin and here's how they respond. These are enemies. And Jesus says, I'm calling you to love them and, and I'm calling you not to immediately pass a full and final judgment on them. You know, when the Scripture talks about judgment, there's a couple of types of judgment. One is that the full and final judgment that comes from God, and that is for God alone. God is the supreme judge. God is the one who rightly will, in the end, judge all things, condemn all sin, and His wrath will reign on those who have rebelled against Him who are not covered in the righteousness of Jesus. He is the judge. We are not. That's why the scripture calls us. Vincent Ismael says the Lord. We, we are to trust the Lord for that full and final judgment. That's not ours to give. And yet at the same time, we are called to use good judgment, to use discernment, to, to point out wrong and error in sin, to judge a tree by its fruits. Well, we'll get to that towards the end of this passage, but for now, we need to understand Jesus here in saying, judge not, I believe he's going straight to the issue of the natural inclination of our heart. These things happen to us, what we're not going to love, what we're going to judge. What does he say? You need to love and not judge and not condemn. Jesus continues then to talk about forgiveness, which brings us to that second there. We are to be quick to forgive. So rather than being quick to judge, which is our inclination, and being slow to forgive, Jesus turns this upside down. Be slow to judge. Take a moment here and, and be quicker to run to forgiveness. Again, he's talking here, I believe, to the heart. Rather than being a judgmental person, Jesus says be a forgiving person. Again, this, this is not our natural response to others. And yet this is what we're called to do. One commentator said it this way. said a, a forgiving person is one who, out of a profound sense of being personally forgiven, a great debt by God, is quick to ask forgiveness from another who repudiates anger and bitterness and a desire for revenge to initiate a loving approach to whoever may have hurt him or her, and who offers to freely forgive and forget the injury caused with the hope that reconciliation may be achieved. And then notice that statement, with the hope that reconciliation may be achieved. You might hear that and say, well, if you forgive and you forget, then, then you're reconciled, right? Not necessarily. You see, there, there are multiple aspects of forgiveness. What Jesus is calling us to here is to be ready to forgive, to be quick to forgive. But that reconciliation with another person is contingent on them repenting. So we can be willing to forgive, quick to forgive, everything in our power to forgive. But if a person never acknowledges their sin or repents of that sin, then, then we're never going to have reconciliation. And we see a picture of this in the gospel. We see Jesus on the cross crying out to the Father, what? Father, forgive them. And yet them, these lawless men who crucify our Lord, that they don't experience the forgiveness of God in that moment that Jesus says, forgive them. Now Jesus goes to the cross, he atones for sin, he, he makes forgiveness possible and available, but it's not until we see things like in, in Acts chapter 2 where Peter is preaching at Pentecost and he says to this group, you lawless men, you crucify Jesus. And these same people who were saying, crucify him, crucify him, now are broken and brought into a point of repentance. And you remember what they asked Peter? What, what do we need to do? And Peter says, you need to repent every one of you and be baptized for forgiveness of your sins. That that is when reconciliation happens. When when they repent, when they confess Christ as Lord, then they are brought into a right relationship with God. That, That is the gospel. Jesus on the cross doesn't just say, Father, forgive them, then okay, everybody's good. No, the gospel calls for us to confess Christ as Lord, to turn from our sin, to trust in Jesus. And so how does that relate to this passage? I think it relates in this way. Jesus is saying, rather than being so quick and so judgmental, you've been called out as disciples, called out from the world. That's how the world's going to respond. You're to react very differently. Rather than just passing that judgment, you you need to forgive as you've been forgiven. But in order for us to really be reconciled to one another, that that requires repentance. And some of you, you're experiencing this right now. You've got a difficult situation, difficult relationship. You're struggling with what's my role here? What do I need to do? And I believe the call of Christ here is: you need to be slow to condemn and you need to be quick to forgive. You need to hold that forgiveness out. You need to do everything in your power to forgive. But but you can't make a person repent. And until they repent, until they turn from their sin, then you're never going to be in a right relationship with them. And God's not calling you to fake it in that moment, because I think that belittles this a bit. He's calling us to speak the truth in love. And that love we see here is offering that forgiveness. So Jesus, I believe you're saying, be slow to condemn, be quick to forgive. And then point three, be ready to give. Notice what he says in verse 38. He makes this statement, and then he says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So Jesus here is giving a very common picture that his disciples would have experienced of what takes place in the marketplace when you go to buy something like grain. So you would go in the market to buy grain. You would bring with you some type of container. It might be a, a large container, or a small one, but these were, were measures that people used. So you use this measured container and you would go to this merchant and they would put the grain in the container. Now they could give you a good measure or a bad measure. Now I'm just going to assume most of you haven't experienced first century marketplace grain exchanges but you've probably bought soft serve ice cream. And you probably had that situation where you went through the drive through or the counter service and you ordered that, that large cup of ice cream and they swirled it in there and then you put the spoon in it and as soon as you did and took off the lid, you see, this thing is hollow. You feel like you've been robbed. They like swirled it around the outside and there's nothing in the middle. Maybe I'm the only one upset about this today, but it really upsets me. That's a bad measure. You know what a good measure is? Self-serve. Because you put some in there and then tap it down, put some in there, tap it down. And listen, my wife, when she was younger, worked at Dairy Queen. She taught me the swirl. I can get that thing seven, eight inches above the lid. Oh, that's a good measure. It's what Jesus is saying here. Not about ice cream. But he's saying that grain, you you go to a merchant, there were people who gave bad measures. They were known for giving bad measures. They just kind of throw that grain in there. Maybe they get it close to the top, and, but it wasn't full. And Jesus says, no, a good measure is the merchant who puts that grain in and they, they tap it down and it settles and they put more in there and they tap it down and it settles. Then they have you hold on to it and they heap so much on top of it that it is pouring out into your lap. Now, you don't ever to have to have bought soft starved rice cream or grain in the market to understand what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that is how we are to give in a way that is generous and benevolent and overflowing. I mean, remember the context here. Love your enemies. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Jesus says this is what we all want. We want a good measure, so we need to give that good measure. Well, what do we need to give? Well, I think we can apply this to so many things. But specifically in the context, I think he's directly talking about the forgiveness he just talked about. He's not saying give judgment that way. He's saying give forgiveness that way. Remember, the world operates by keeping score. (laughs) He's pointed this out. You you just love those who love you? That's what the world does. The world has a tally. You, you've done this for me, I'll do this for you. We, we've been called out of that system. So, so we don't operate in a forgiveness system where we're keeping score. Well, you forgave me, so I'll forgive you. But you didn't forgive me, so I'm not going to forgive you. No, we are to forgive our, as we have been given. And God's forgiveness of us is what it is. Generous and gracious and overflowing. He heaps it on us. His grace is so much greater than our sin. God's love and mercy and grace, these are are benevolently poured out on us. And Christ says, in return, we who have been called out, set apart, we throw the tally sheet away, and we show forgiveness like this. You know, there's other things here. Before he had talked about, give to everyone who begs of you. Your enemies are in need. You you help them out. How do we do that? Generously and graciously. Not by saying, "Well, you've wronged me. You have attacked me. So I'll, I'll just I'll give you a little bit here." No, we we give graciously and always, because Jesus has set us apart. So. Be slow to condemn, be quick to forgive, be ready to give. And then four, be aware of your own sin. Here's where I think Jesus kind of comes full circle back to that first statement about judgment because now that is going to help us to see here is how we are to rightly judge. We, We begin with looking to our own sin. Notice here Jesus gives a parable. And in this parable, Luke tells us He gives the picture of a blind man leading a blind man. Now, again, you don't have to experience visual impairment to understand what Jesus is saying here. And especially in this context, it would have made a lot of sense to his audience. People would would store things by digging pits. So they weren't going and renting a storage unit. They weren't buying more of these big containers at Lowe's. They they would dig a pit. They would store grain in the pit. They would dig a pit and have a cistern. They would store water in the cistern. And so these pits could be dangerous because, of course, if they weren't covered and you didn't know where they were, you literally could fall into a pit. This especially would be dangerous if you couldn't see anything. And so Jesus here is saying a a blind person needs a guide. Blind people need guides today. We understand this. But it's absurd for a blind person to get another blind person to be their guide. That they're both going to fall into the pit. When Jesus shares in parables, he, he gives... Rather extreme situations, not necessarily, well, I saw this blind person leading a blind person the other day. It's not something he necessarily saw. He's saying that this is how extreme this is so that you might understand the point that's being made here. So can a blind person lead a blind person? Everybody would say, no. (laughs) Of course they would both fall into the pit. What does that have to do with any of this, Jesus? Well, he explains it. He then says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now, it helps here to understand that at times, Jesus will refer to the Pharisees, who, again, likely are there. We've already seen them passing judgment on Jesus and his disciples. We've already seen them plotting together on how they're going to destroy Jesus. They're probably part of this great crowd. Jesus is preaching to his disciples, but I believe he's he's preaching to them and saying, listen, this this is what they're like. He refers to them at times as blind guides. (laughs) And so when he's talking about blind guides, I think that's who he's talking about here when he says blind people. He's saying, listen, those blind guides can't lead anybody because they're blind to the truth. They're, They're certainly blind to what Jesus is saying here. Don't have a judgmental heart, have a forgiving heart, and yet what do we see in them? They had a judgmental heart and not a forgiving heart. They have already passed judgment on Jesus, and they have condemned him. And Jesus is saying, if that's your teacher, if that's your guide, then that's exactly what you're going to do. You're not going to rise above their false understandings and their false teachings because a student learns from their teacher. You're only going to learn from them the wrong thing. You're not going to learn what I'm teaching you here. And what Jesus was teaching them here is that they needed to to judge themselves before they could rightly judge others. They needed to discern their own sin before they could discern the sin of others. This is not what the Pharisees were teaching. That's why Jesus said, you can't follow a blind guide. You'll just do what your teacher says. Rather, notice what he says, verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log in your own eye? Now again, extreme picture here, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, you take this through. You go to the eye doctor this week, and maybe you were out in the yard cleaning up debris from the windstorm and, and you just your eyes has been irritating you. You feel like you got something in it. You, you can't figure out what it is. It's irritated you now to the point that you got to go to the eye doctor. You, you walk in, you, you sit in that chair. The eye doctor comes in and grotesquely, they have a stick coming out of their face. Every single one of us would get out of that room as quick as we could Again, it's an extreme situation. These things don't really happen this way. But what does Jesus say? Obviously, if someone comes in with their eye impaled by a log, they're not going to help you very much get that speck out of your eye. That they need to go deal with that before they can help you with what you have going on. Jesus says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Why are you so judgmental and critical about the sin of another when your sin is so egregious and so obvious and you're not dealing with it? Because that's our heart, isn't it? We we have no problem with God judging sin as long as it's not ours. (laughs) We want God to judge other people's sin. Sometimes we feel like it's our job to be the spotter for God. God, I don't know if you've seen this yet, but so-and-so, we feel like it's our responsibility to make sure God and maybe others know about this sin in someone else's life. Now, maybe we're real spiritual and we say, well, you know, we need to pray for so-and-so because, and we just tell all about their sin. But how often, friend, do we say, will you pray for me? Because I'm struggling with this. Will you pray for me because, man, I've, I've got so much anger right now over this situation. Will you pray for me because I'm just struggling with this sin over and over and over again. Now, Jesus here is calling his disciples, is calling us who follow Jesus today to, to be aware first and foremost of the sin in our life. then, we can rightly deal with the sin of another. Now, I don't believe Jesus is saying here, until you are perfect and righteous and don't sin, then you have no right to ever talk to anyone else. No, I think he's saying the way we approach sin needs to be one of humility, where first and foremost, we go before the Lord, we we confess, we repent, we acknowledge, we, we are dealing with the sin in our life, which we will have sin in our life, so that we then can rightly go and speak the truth in love to another. So how do we deal with that sin in our life so that we can deal with sin in another's life? Well, God gives us instruction. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So so what we need to do is we need to confess. What are we doing when we confess? We we are acknowledging, we are agreeing, we are going before the Lord and saying, this is sin in my life. I was wrong. How do we know what sin? How do we know when we're wrong? We open up God's word, which is the mirror. We look into it and we see immediately the truth and the righteousness of God, which then exposes the sin in our life. The light shines in the darkness and exposes that darkness. Sometimes we need others to do that. We see that with, with David and Nathan. Nathan goes to David, and he speaks to him the truth so that he might see the sin in his own life, which he's completely ignorant to at first, until Nathan very clearly says, this is you, you have sinned, and then he's broken and he's repenting. We start by acknowledging, agreeing, confessing, dealing with sin in our life so that then, point five, we can be honest about the sin of others. Verse 42, Jesus says, you hypocrites. First, take the log out of your eye, this obvious sin you're not dealing with. Then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So rather than being so quick to run to judgment and condemnation, we are to be forgiving. We are to give in this gracious measure that forgiveness. We are to deal with this log in our eye, the sin in our eye, so that then we can go and we can be honest about a person's sin. And I choose that word intentionally. We need to be honest with people about their sin. Because so, so often our temptation is not to be honest with people. And I think it all comes out of maybe a misunderstanding of this passage, maybe just a a fear on our part. But when we sit down with a brother or sister who is in obvious, egregious sin, and we just kind of candy coat over it, we're not being gracious. We're being liars. We're not being honest with them. I mean, imagine going to that eye doctor, and, and you're blind as a bat. And rather than just telling you you're blind, the eye doctor said, well, yeah, you're good. You're fine. And then they've got like an eight foot E on the wall and you're like, I don't know, Q? Sure, pass. You're good. And then you go out and you get in a car and you run over everybody because you can't see a thing. Is that eye doctor doing their job? No. Are, are they being loving to you by not telling you You've got this enormous sight issue? No. And yet that is our world today, isn't it? And sadly, that's the church today. Because we are surrounded and filled in our pews with people who are living contrary to the Word of God. And and rather than just speaking the truth in love, we're we're under the guise of love or grace or whatever it is we might say, we're, we're not speaking out about sin. And in not doing this, we're not helping anyone. So how do we do this? Well, again, I'll I'll take us back to to 1 John. In fact, let me just read that passage for us. Because building up to verse 9, I think God really walks us through this process. I'll I'll pick up in verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So it starts with the truth of God's word. That's the basis for all of this. The message we have heard, the truth of the gospel, that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. So we can't live a life of sin in darkness and say we are in fellowship with the Father. We're lying. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So I can't get into this pulpit today and make proclamations to you that are contrary to the word of God. Or I'm a liar. I'm a blind guide and I will lead you the wrong way. And yet that's what's happening in pews around our country today. Blind guides aren't going to produce seeing people. We say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness. We lie and don't practice the truth. But If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How do we get to the cleansing work of the gospel? We need to be honest about sin. We need to speak the truth of God's word. Then we can have fellowship with one another. Then we can be cleansed. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. (laughs) So we're not going to a brother or sister and saying, listen, I've removed all specks. I am perfectly righteous. Now let me help you. No, no, we go as another sinner who's been saved by the grace of God. We know that we have sin, but verse nine, again, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his words not us. So so we walk around and we call things that are sin in our life, something other than sin in our life, we're we're liars. So so you you pull all this together and and here's the question for us. This morning, in response to God's word, are are you slow to condemn? Or is God convicting you this morning of a a judgmental heart? Are you quick to to offer forgiveness, to just just heap it up on people, (laughs) overwhelmingly to give forgiveness? Are you holding on this morning to some some bitterness, some anger, some issues with another in your heart that are keeping you from offering that forgiveness? Are you dealing with your own sin? Are you aware of it? Are you getting into God's word? Are you opening it up? When, when this is a practical way to think about this. When's the last time you opened up God's word and through opening up God's word, you were brought to a point of repentance? When when's the last time there was something in your life and you just weren't real clear on it, not aware of it, nobody was calling you out on it, but you opened up the word of God and immediately you, you felt conviction through the Holy Spirit because the light was shining into the darkness. That, that's a good indication that, that you're aware of your sin and that that work is taking place? And then are you being honest with others about their sin? When's the last time you sat down with a brother, a sister in the faith, somebody, somebody in your own household, your family, a friend, another believer, and, and lovingly, graciously said, listen, I, maybe I've misunderstood this, but this is this is what it appears to be. And, and I'm here to help you, to encourage you, to pray for you and you spoke the truth about sin in their life. If you find in any of those questions as you're processing them now that you've fallen short of what God's called us to do in the Sermon on the Plaint, then then we give opportunities each and every Lord's day to to respond to the Word of God, to confess, (laughs) to repent, to go before the Father and pray in response to His Word. So we're going to do that right now together. I want to invite you to, to stand together as we... Now respond together to God's word.